Here we are again from the studios of Redeemer Radio with another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Tom, we've got a great lineup on this show. Our guest will be Dr. Michael Parker, an obstetrician-gynecologist from Columbus, Ohio, and the vice president, as well as the president-elect of the Catholic Medical Association. Tonight, uh, Michael is going to talk with us about physician burnout and other healthcare team members. But first, we've got some exciting news. We are now welcoming you, listeners, on the EWTN radio network. Yes, a special welcome to you first-time listeners. We on Dr. Doctor, Dr. Chris Stroud, Dr. Andrew Mullally, not present today, and me, Dr. Tom McGovern, are here to inform, educate, and evangelize, and have a little fun along the way. You'll hear from our expert guests about a wide range of topics, from big ethical questions to practical health tips. And Tom, we can't thank our listeners enough, as well as our producer, Andrea Soretti, and Cindy Black, the executive director of Redeemer Radio, for bringing us along this far. And, and of course, thank you to EWTN for picking up our show. Oh, we are thankful. We've been recording now for over a year. And you can check out archives of our previous episodes with some fascinating topics at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. You can also listen to us on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. So, Tom, for the news, let's move south uh, to the great state of Texas and talk about something going on at the Texas Heart Institute. Yes, all places medical are talking about burnout. And in a great article from the Texas Heart Institute, they have this quote, the highly trained U.S. physician has become a data entry clerk required to document not only diagnoses, physician orders, and patient visit notes, but also an increasing amount of low-value administrative data. Now, that is not in any way to disparage those who are data entry clerks in the world. No, but we didn't go to medical school to become data (laughs) entry clerks. Not knowingly. No. Uh, And then a, a second article, you know, talking about, okay, what is burnout? Well, burnout is the presence of at least one of three things. There's something called the Maslach burnout scale. Well, these three scales are one, emotional exhaustion. I just don't feel like I have anything to give anymore emotionally. That's exhaustion that doesn't get better after a nap or a weekend off. You're so right. Second is a sense of depersonalization, not only of yourself, but of your patients. No, that's not a patient. That's a gallbladder in room three. Exactly. And then finally, a sense of low personal accomplishment. What I do, it it doesn't matter. And so what do those of us who experience burnout experience? Headache, can't sleep. We're tense. We're angry. We're narrow-minded. Our memory's not working. We can't pay attention to anything, and we just want to quit and get out of the whole situation. But good news is on the burnout front. The bad news is in 2011, when we looked globally at studies of thousands of physicians, 46% had burnout. In 2014, that went up to 54%. But now the most recent data suggests it has gone down 10% to about 44%. So something is changing for the good. And we're going to talk to our guest, Mike Parker, about that. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's frightening to think that one in two physicians would be experiencing these things. And I know we'll talk more with our guests about it, but the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the idea that safety could be compromised because of physicians having burnout. They're not thinking clearly. They're not at their best. No. Uh, and and, uh, and this, this is separate from the physical exhaustion that during right. years physicians have gone through in their training. In fact, there are new laws in place which supposedly limit physician trainees, known as residents, interns, fellows, to 80 hours of patient care a week. But this type of burnout, by definition, is not physical. It's emotional. Uh, And as a result, napping, resting, having the weekend off isn't necessarily going to help. And we're going to talk about why this is occurring now, even though hours are supposedly better than they were before. And fascinatingly, not only do physicians in practice have burnout, but so do residents, physicians in training have burnout. In fact, a study of a number of different specialties show that, again, 51% 
of residents in surgery or medical specialties, and this is something reported this year, 2019, have burnout, the highest specialties. I was shocked at the highest one. I mean, these are the people who sit in a dark room all day. I guess I would feel, I'd feel bad. I don't know if I'd feel burnt out, but radiology residents, 77% experience burnout. And we can't emphasize enough, these physicians are not in practice yet. They're in the training component of their career. So we we would expect them to be fatigued, perhaps, but not yet burned out. They haven't been at it long enough to burn out, you would think. Right. Neurology residents, 72% burnout. And in third place, general surgery residents at 58%. The least burned out, our co-host who is not here because he's feeling so good about life. Well, actually, now he's in practice, so he's Higher chance. Anyway, family medicine physicians, 36% burnout in residency. The next lowest, oncology residents or fellows, 38%. And finally, rounding out the best three, psychiatry at 42%. Now, there's something fascinating here. If we look by continents, in Asia, the burnout rate among residents, 57%. North America, 52%. But look across the pond in Europe. What? is the burnout rate a measly 28%. Wow. But then I did some research this week, and this fascinated me to no end. While in the United States, the number of hours that a resident or fellow can work in a hospital or with patients is 80 hours a week. Chris, do you know what that same number is in Europe? No. It is only 48 hours a week. Wow. What I remember about uh, being in London in healthcare is that at lunch, it seemed like all of the physicians and nurses went to a pub uh, and had a pint. And then afterwards, they went back to work. Maybe that's why they're not so burned out. I should recommend a pint for all my physician <laughs> friends at lunchtime. A pint a day keeps the burnout away. I, I like that. It could catch on. I see a T-shirt in the making or a meme. And then finally, medical students. Are medical students burned out? You bet they are. A study out of the Mayo Clinic Department of Medicine in 2008, published in the Annals of Intermedicine, found that about half of medical students experienced burnout. And this was in a study of 2,000 medical students. And then last year, 2018, a Brazilian medical school uh, did a study and found out that 71% of medical students there, out of 265, had emotional exhaustion. And 45% of them had two of the three criteria for burnout, and a full quarter of them had all three criteria for burnout. And indeed, I have even looked at pre-med students and compared to their peers, who are other college students not in pre-medicine, they also had a burnout rate higher than their non-pre-med peers. It'd be interesting to know, but intuitively you have to think, if students are already experiencing burnout as medical students, it doesn't seem like it's going to get better as they progress through their career and their training environment and then on to practice. That's that's can't bode very well. For it, them. it doesn't at all. And one thing that I noticed in meeting with a number of pre-med students this year is a huge increase in what's known as taking a gap year between college and medical school. Hmm. Uh, that might not be a bad thing. But it still doesn't address what is fundamentally going on during the times that they do have burnout. And that's what we're going to discuss with Mike Parker and and what it means for you as patients. But before we do that, Tom, we've got to get to the medical trivia question. We have to get there. Otherwise, This one is not exactly lighthearted. It is heavy-hearted. Yes, physicians among all professions have the highest rate of suicide. And it's 87% greater than the average suicide rate for age and sex matched controls. In fact, the top three jobs are all medically related. What are in positions four and five? In other words, what are the top non-medical professions in which people commit suicide? We'll have that after the third segment of the show. But after this break, we're going to be back with a little audio extra as well as Dr. Mike Parker. Stay tuned for more on Dr. Doctor here on Redeemer Radio and the EWTN Radio Network. Welcome back to the second segment of this episode of Dr. Doctor. And to set this up, we have a special audio guest who's going to tell us about burnout. His name is Z-Dog MG. That's Z-Dog with two Gs. Just sit back and listen. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Z. Okay, listen, I'm really, really, really tired. 
of people calling it burnout. What over 50% of healthcare professionals are experiencing, they call it burnout. It's exhaustion, low productivity, and a feeling of deep cynicism. And it's so prevalent that everyone, in a, even in administration, is starting to panic. Like, what's going on? Why are physicians and nurses and PAs, why are they burning out? Well, burnout is a kind of victim shaming. It's saying you're not resourceful enough, you're not resilient enough, you're not strong enough to adapt to a system, so maybe you should meditate. Maybe you should use some lavender essential oil. Maybe we could have a wellness retreat or hire a chief wellness officer. Listen, it's all bull Here's what's really going on. We're not suffering from burnout. We're suffering from something that Wendy Dean and Simon Talbot call moral injury. Let that sink in for a second. People go to war. They have a set of moral values. They care about other human beings. And then they're forced to either become a part of or bear witness to things that are so against everything they believe that when they come back, they, they fall apart. We call it PTSD. We have a million different names for it. What it is, is moral injury. Humans are moral, idealistic creatures that resonate love for other humans. And what happens when our moral ideals meet the real world where we cannot give our patients the care we know that we could give if we had the tools and the resources and the autonomy to do it? What happens when we're trained in our schooling to give the best possible care to patients regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their race, regardless of their condition or their gender, but then we meet the real world where it's all about the insurance company's bottom line. It's all about the hospital system's revenue. It's all about throughput and RVUs. And then we meet an electronic health record that is a glorified cash register with a little patient stuff tacked on. And we stare at that instead of staring at the vulnerable person who's having the worst day of their lives and you can't be with them. How would that make anybody feel, let alone some of the most resourceful, resilient, passionate human beings on the planet are healthcare professionals. These are people who went into this field with an almost evangelical religious zeal to help others. Why do I say that? Because they sacrificed their 20s, they sacrificed financial stability early on, they sacrificed family, they sacrificed sleep, they sacrificed their own health because they felt they were gonna be part of something much larger than them. That is the highest aspiration of any human being and they had a moral code to go with that. Then they meet our healthcare system, and all it is is the opposite of what their morality tells them they need to do for patients. So what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen to a good person in a bad system when they feel they can't change the system, but they have to adapt? We have with us today to unwrap this Dr. Mike Parker. He's an obstetrician-gynecologist who is medical director of the OB House Physician Staff at Mount Carmel St. Anne Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. He's the vice president of the Catholic Medical Association, and he's been the co-host of the Catholic Doctors on St. Gabriel Radio in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, Mike. Man, it's great to be with you guys. Um, What's you know, your what, what, visceral reaction to what you just you know, heard from Dog? When, when I first heard this, I was, I was shouting the amens to the high heavens <laughs> uh, as, as to what he was saying, because it, it was what I felt for so many years. You know, the happiest I was in medicine was when I had that time to sit down and just take the time to be with my patients and spend that meaningful time with them, developing a relationship with them. And you know, but my greatest frustration is, and and you guys, I'm sure can can feel this too, is when you're running behind and you and you're 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 struggling to keep up with the patients, and the patients are getting upset because you're running behind, and then your nurse is coming at you to get you to to sign up on this paper or to sign that paper or to answer a patient phone call or answer a patient email, and then you get done with your day and you realize you still have six charts you haven't closed out, and you have. 14, you know, 100 labs you've got to review and, and all these things. And, and, you know, it just, it really just spoke to my heart what he was saying. I, I don't think I would have ever called it moral injury before. I knew about the connection between burnout and similar symptoms to PTSD, but I'd never heard that term before until he brought it up. And, 
it really, I think, speaks to the heart of the matter of what's going on. I really like that picture that he sort of painted is that you you get on the train expecting this one particular ride, and then as soon as the door closes behind you, you're confronted, oh, this isn't the ride at all, and that creates emotional injury. That really resonated with me. It's the surprise, I think, uh, and the shock of it all that, that probably affects people so so fundamentally. I think, I think you're right, Chris, but I think what it is, is it's, it's more of a pervasive nature. It's, mm. it's something that when you go into it, you've still got this altruistic ideal. You know, you get on that train and you got this great, we're going to go do it. We're going to go do it. And you pass by all the beautiful countryside and everything else. And now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in Siberia, you know, and, and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for Siberia. Uh, I, I signed up to be, you know, in the hinter, you know, in, in the, at the foothills of the Alps or the Pyrenees Mountains, uh, you know. Um, so, and, Mike, and, you're and the you're the chairman of a conference uh, for the Catholic Medical uh-huh. Association coming up really pretty soon in September, and you chose this theme of dealing with uh, physician burnout. Help our listeners understand uh, why you thought it was so important to dedicate an entire conference to it. Well, I think first and foremost, just from my own personal experience with burnout, I, 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 it really just resonated with me that I thought that this would be a good topic. Uh, and two, the pervasiveness of burnout in medicine today, it's affecting everybody. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in medicine today, whether as a patient or as a caregiver, that's not affected uh, by burnout. But I think the uniqueness of Catholic healthcare where I think many of us went in this as a vocation rather than as a career choice. Mm. And we realize that there's both a spiritual and a physical nature to not only our ability to care for patients, but the way we see patients. And then, you know, finally, I think the church has built in mechanisms within our sacraments and, and other activities that are related to overcoming burnout. And ultimately we realize that, uh, to, to follow this journey of, of bearing our cross in medicine, we have to come to the foot of the cross and realize that, realize that Jesus is there for us. He says to us, uh, you know, bring, bring me your burdens and I will give you rest. And so I think we have to always keep coming back to that, to that centering of Jesus Christ within our practice and within the relationship that we have with patients to, to deal with burnout and to really ground ourselves there so that we can then come out of it in a healthy way. And that that was the reason we did it this year. Mike, I want to share a, a small vignette with our listeners, which was actually written by a physician who is an author, writer, but who is a patient. And he says that when he was in the hospital, the nurse came in regularly, but not to visit me so much as to visit the screen against the wall. Her back was to me as she asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being great difficulty breathing. I saw her back three more times before I left. My visit was recorded in the electronic health record, and it would have exceeded all quality indicators, measures that affect reimbursement and hospital ratings. As for my experience, it was okay, not great. I received care, but I did not feel cared for. How is this particular scenario related to burnout, both for physicians and even for nurses? Well, I think what it, I think what it, what what we see happening, and 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 I say this quite frequently, medicine is an art that's trying to be run like a business, and businesses businesses are run by numbers. Uh, you know, we have our quotas, we have our Prescani scores, we have our satisfaction scores, we have our metrics, uh, and we're not. And when we do that, we lose focus of the human story right in front of us. The second, my second thought on this, Tom, is this nurse is probably burned out too. Yes, she's just trying mm-hmm. to get through her day. Yes, and you know, she. I think the the other term that you hear quite frequently when we talk about burnouts is practicing to the top of your license, where we're getting fulfilling work out of what we're doing. It's what we were trained to do, and she, like doctors, is being turned into a glorified clerical secretary to get things done because of some regulation or some score. No, it's interesting. It's not. It's not hard work. Uh, that's not the problem, I don't think. Uh, because if we look two, three generations ago, you know, of the country physician who really worked themselves to death, 
but they did it in a, in a non-burned-out way. So it's not that work is too hard. There's much more nefarious forces sort of uh, sort of taking place there. Tom and I have got a buzz list for you, and maybe you could react to each of the <laughs> things on the list, and you tell us uh, how evil each one of them are. Um, as, as, long, as, long, as long as there's no psychological score at the end, I'm okay with right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could create an evilness scale or a physician evilness burnout scale. But let's go, right yeah. off, let's go big right off the top. Administrative rules, what part is that contributing to physician burnout? It's it's loss of autonomy and loss of control, mm. uh, and it's it's uh, uh, people trying to tell. Uh, it, it's like generals trying to tell the people on the front line how to how to run the war, and and so these administrative rules really give doctors a sense of a, a loss of con- autonomy, uh, which leads to burnout and a feeling like no matter what they do, they just can't get ahead. Wow. Mike, what about the concept of asymmetric rewards? In other words, as a physician, you're expected to get things right, and you don't receive kudos, but it, once you fail, you're punished. Right. Well, And this leads to guilt and shame and worry and you know, neuroticism, which all are a part of uh, developing that uh, feeling of uh, you know, the, the third part of, uh, of burnout is you're feeling like you have a lack of efficacy, that you really can't get things done. Well, and then where would you put or how would you respond to this idea that the physician-patient relationship has changed? It's been altered. It's no longer what it used to be. Uh, this is probably what I think is the biggest driver of burnout. It's that, that loss of human connection. Uh, we've gone from being a relational specialty to a transactional specialty. Mm. Uh, and and it's that loss of connection with the human spirit uh, and to be able to share in each other's shared experiences that leads to, the I think, the greatest dissatisfaction with the practice of medicine. When I was with the Cleveland Clinic, we were taught to introduce the computer to our patient as part of the healthcare team. Oh my and, gosh, and, that's so sensitive. And so, you know that that that's how this relationship is changing. Is we're now bringing a third party into the relationship, yeah. but we're we're more interested in getting things into the computer than we are in focusing on the words, the expression, the visualization of the human person that's sitting right in front of us. Well, you know, I, 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 yeah, I just want to add this. I mean, imagine the good Samaritan today. <laughs> if the good oh Samaritan had to stop by the side of the road. You know, I that, le- that pays it, a relationship. He, he wouldn't have been reimbursed for his two pieces of silver. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> I left practice Actually, for about... That was, that, that was his copay, Tom. That was... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Mike, I actually left practice for about five years, and I realized in retrospect what I missed was that relationship. That's what brought me back to practice was I think I was professionally starving to have meaningful uh, relationships with with patients. Uh, And then, of course, it has been changed. But I think you're exactly right. That's That's what most of us that go into medicine are expecting. I want to be relevant and engage people at a personal level. And Mike, something you said kind of resonates with a Catholic reality. When you said something relational is becoming transactional, it almost sounds like the difference between a covenant and a contract. Mm. Covenants are relationship-based, even even family-based, whereas transactional is just a contract. And I think the thing you said that's hit me the most is that we're taking the art and science of medicine and trying to run it like a business, which it was never intended to be. You're right on the money. So this... Well, thanks, Tom, and, and and I think I think that's uh, you know that underscores almost everything that's there. Um, and Chris, I think you were in administration for a few years, so you are on the other side, and you can see from your own experience uh, what your role was in, in all this. And I blame you directly, Chris. So, <laughs> anyways, I just want you to know that. That's right. Yes, scapegoat right. written across his back today. I fully accept <laughs> the blame. That's why I left. Yeah, I fully accept. <laughs> But, you know, this idea that, that we're seeing increasingly in our community and I think all communities of size is that physicians are being employed by larger and larger uh, health systems. What, if any, part do you see that playing in burnout? 
Well, I think it, go, it, it it relates to a number of the things that you mentioned up above mm. uh, with the administrative u- rules, uh, the implementation of electronic health records, getting the proper metrics into the chart, getting the proper data into the chart, and also just that that lack of autonomy in being able to control your schedule. Uh, if you needed to take a half a day off for uh, an emergency in the family or a sick child at home, or just to get some sleep because you were up all night the night before, it's much more difficult in that employed physician model. And I think, again, we're practicing to the numbers when we're part of a large business that's mm. there to, to, to make a profit in many cases, or at least to make sure they're not losing money. And they run by the numbers. But, you know, I had a, I had a friend of mine say to me and when we were discussing burnout, he said, how can I expect someone to give me a five out of five when I wouldn't even give myself a one out of five, you know? <laughs> wow. Um, Mike, you, on, really, on you, make, you make a great point. And uh, we're going to talk more with Dr. Michael Parker about physician burnout. But so we don't burn out, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be back with you in just a moment on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. We're joined by Dr. Michael Parker, an obstetrician-gynecologist and expert in physician burnout. So, Mike, as we were finishing um, our last segment, the question sort of comes to mind, what, what's the big deal? So physicians are not happy with their work. Aren't they, a bunch of, you know, aren't they just a bunch of spoiled, overpaid professionals? What's the problem after all? Well, I think that that can be a pervasive attitude that, that people may have, but this, this kind of, you know, this kind of speaks to why we need a culture of mutual healing between our patients and physicians. Uh, you mentioned Chris earlier, the country doctor, the country doctor used to be the most revered person in a community. Mm. Uh, and, and they were actually a part of your family. They were part of your community they were part of your faith life and your church. And you saw them all the time. And, and while we do share some burdens, you know, with, of society that we can see, such as family, finances, uh, most people, when they leave work, they're done until the next day. Uh, they can also change you know, professions or jobs or leave the area more easily, and they may not have a, they, you know, they may not have a significant impact on them. But what's unique to medicine is, is, is what is, is really where it gets different, and that is and I say, you know, I used to come home from my wife and I'd say, honey, I don't want to tell you what I want for dinner. I just want you to make it because I was <laughs> suffering from, you know, I, I think we all realize that um, we suffer from decision fatigue. Mm. You know, we're making so many decisions throughout the day that uh, we finally just can't make one more decision. But I think we also suffer from compassion fatigue where we're sharing so much empathy and compassion and suffering with our patients that we feel alone in our own suffering. And so that we don't have somebody else to, to suffer with us always. Our families can't always understand what we're going through. And many times because of, uh, you know, the attitudes that we have of this suck it up and, and my life is tough too, we don't want to share that with other people. Mm. And so we build this up inside until we, you know, almost become sick over it. Uh, but then we also have just have this inability to detach from our work. Um, we worry about, did we check this lab? We worry about the patient who's still in the hospital. We worry, did I put this in the chart on this patient? And, and that inability to detach breaks down our ability to be social with other people and leads us to be isolated from others and, and, and what we're doing. So I do think that, you know, you could say, yeah, you know, you're making a good living as a physician. You know, what are you what are you crying about? I see you driving a nice car, living in a nice house and everything else. And and but people don't realize what we've had to sacrifice, not only from uh, the perspective of time, but you know, of, of our own personal selves to, to achieve those goals that we've set for ourselves. And, and I do think that, you know, there can be some personal envy that's associated with that. But. Um, many of the things that we experience as healthcare workers is different from from others within the community, uh, and maybe more intensified. And speaking of healthcare workers, how prevalent is burnout in healthcare professionals who are not physicians? It's almost equally as prevalent in nurses, mm. um, and especially in critical care nurses, emergency room 
uh, nurses, but we also see it in, in dentists. Uh, we can see it in uh, physical therapists. Anybody who's involved in medicine, because burnout touches everybody. And, and you may not realize it, but burnout is the disruptive position that breaks down teams. The breakdown of those teams leads people to feel disgruntled with their work and have a negative attitude. As I read somewhere, burnout is infectious. You know, it's sort of like a laugh. When somebody starts laughing, everybody wants to laugh. Or if somebody yes. sneezes, you sneeze. Um, burnout can yes. have the same effect. But, you know, what, what happens is, is, you know, people get tired of being in a dysfunctional system and then they leave. And when they leave, that leaves a hole for other people to fill in that burden. Mm. And that burden can just get piled on and cause even more burnout or even more dis, dis, uh, disenchantment with the profession. And what a, and, wonderful, uh, and what a so, wonderful recipe for mistakes and medical errors when you have all of these people across the continuum of the profession that are suffering in this way. It's just ripe, you know, for a mistake. Oh, absolutely. They, they, most of the statistics will tell you that for every one point increase in emotional exhaustion or depersonalization on the on the burnout scale, you'll see a three to ten percent increase in reports of major medical errors. Mm. So that's not just uh, you know I wrote the wrong thing in the chart. Is that is you know major medical errors? I gave the wrong medication. Uh, I operated on the wrong side. I took out the wrong uh, uh, device or whatever, you know, or did the wrong thing with this patient. And so that that's significant impact on everybody. So that's why our listeners should be concerned with this because it will affect their care. It will affect their care. And, uh, it, you know, not it, it, they, they should be concerned because that burned out physician uh, is less likely to listen to the patient uh, and hear what they have to say, but also less likely to answer their questions fully about the diagnosis or the treatment that they've been given. Now, Mike, one of the analogies I've seen for burnout uh, and how to deal with it would be a weightlifter. Now, the weightlifter and the weight represents those things that are leading to burnout, all the things that a physician has to do. So the physician can get stronger. That would be the resilience, the meditation, the time off, but also in how much weight there is. In other words, you could have less weight to lift. In other words, and that would be more the system. What is the relative contributions of a physician's own humanity, own weakness, compared to that of the system in which they're operating? So I think that that comes down to some of the, you know, when you look at the initial work on stress by Salia and the stress response, uh, you see that the stress response is going to be unique to each individual based on not only their genetic makeup, but their lifestyle and the choices that they've made. Uh, and so some people can can undergo chronic stresses and recover very easily uh, and not get to fatigue or burnout. So that's the super strong Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of guy. Uh, and, 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 you know, and then you, then you get to, you know, to people like myself who they can handle a heavy load for a period of time, but eventually they're going to get fatigued and, and burn out, but they, they take some time off and then they recover. Then there may be the people where you stress them with heavy weights repeatedly over and over and over again, and eventually it becomes an injury, and they can't recover. You know, and those are the people that we hear about that are in despair. They may commit suicide. Um, they may go to, to a uh, you know drug addiction or to alcohol addiction. Um, so they just they, they have difficulty recovering, and they're going to take a lot more to recover from. So that's that's the best explanation I can give for that. So, so how much of the solution do you think is related to individual physicians learning coping skills or resilience, and how much is related to changing the system? I think changing the system is probably the key, Tom and, and Chris, uh, because the burned-out physician can't see the end of the tunnel mm. um, many times. And teaching them to breathe, or teaching them to meditate, or teaching them to, you know, count to 100 when they're upset or something like that is only going to work for so long. And if you still have that stress and that burden that's there, uh, it's, it, you're going to be overwhelmed. What we have to do is if we're going to treat medicine as, an art, as a business, we have to, we have to look at uh, business models of productivity and teamwork and stress reduction, you know, load reduction more than anything else that will result in better outcomes for not only the patient, 
but the physicians. A satisfied and happy physician leads to a satisfied and happy patient, yes. but also mm-hmm. a more pro- a more productive physician. You're going to be almost 10 to 20% more productive if you are fully engaged and happy in the work that you're doing. Mike, so I think we have to look at that. I reported mm-hmm. of a recent study, you know, uh, Tate Shanafelt out of uh, Mayo Clinic has published mm-hmm. some of the best research in the U.S. 2011, 46% physician burnout. 2014, 54%. 2017, back down to 44%. And that's also shown on the Medscape uh, surveys. So why do you think burnout may have peaked in 2014 and beyond the way down. Do you think this is real? And if it is, what do you think is causing it? Well, I think there's several factors here that can be involved. There's been some discussion over you know, the early years of this is, are we overestimating the amount of burnout? Because some studies, you know, Tate Shanafeld studies always showed around a 50 to 54% rate of burnout with the lowest being around 47%, where other people have shown a burnout rate in, in subspecialties or in other areas of around 30%. So there's been some people that have questioned whether it's overestimated. Maybe some burned out physicians have left. They've already left and we're not capturing them anymore. Uh, and so we have people who are more engaged just because they haven't reached that point yet. But I think it's also the episodic nature of burnout. You know, burnout can come and go depending on the situations or, or the environment that you're in uh, that can lead that. And then, uh, you know, I think a number of places have started to de- people because it's become more more visible. Programs have been started to be developed within institutions and organizations, and I think there's a greater awareness of the issue uh, leading to better self-care that is promoted by the institutions. Uh, So I think those all play a role in what this is. I I also think in 2014, we were at the height of the implementation of EHR, and we had so many people who were you know, especially some doctors in, in my age group that that were learning EHR for the first time, where it was not an easy thing for them. And it was a major life disruptor for them. And then, of course, all the regulations associated with the Affordable Care Act uh, that came in at the same time. I do think that maybe the current climate is, is changing a little bit. Uh, people are either more used to electronic health record, but they may also have a higher optimism due to changes in uh, in the economy, but also in the changes of the views of the administration towards healthcare uh, and, and those things that uh, people may feel more hopeful about medicine. We can certainly we can certainly hope you're right. Um, we need that as a profession. We need it as a country, as a as a society. We need physicians to be engaged and healthy and productive. Mike, many of our listeners are patients or friends of Catholic physicians. What could you recommend these listeners do to try to persuade their physician friends or the physicians who take care of them to attend the Physician Heal Thyself conference that you are chairing in September in Nashville? Well, first off, this is a, this is a medical conference that's like no other. You know, it's a retreat with CME, um, <laughs> and we're, we're going to have about 20.5 CME credits so you, we're getting the medical knowledge, and this, this conference in particular is going to look at the issues associated that we've been talking about that are associated with burnout, um, the electronic health record, PTSD, financial burdens, um, personalities associated with medicine, Tom, that you're going to be talking about, but also gratitude. And how, we, how can we recover individually from uh, burnout, but also the last talk of the day is going to be about from a systems approach. How can we build better teams? How can we build better relationships within our organizations that allows physicians to take back some of the autonomy and the control of their practice and feel satisfied and engaged and back into that relational aspect of medicine? And, of course, you know, uh, we have great uh, speakers. Matt Marr is leading a praise and worship on Friday night, and we have John O'Leary, uh, the number, New York Times bestseller of On Fire, who's going to be our keynote speaker. And it's in a beautiful place. It's a, it's a beautiful place to come and relax in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Bring your family, bring your friends, come all, come one, come all. Uh, we cannot call ourselves the CMA down there because that's the Country <laughs> Music Association. So we have to use the full term Catholic Medical Association. Although I would love it if, you know, like Big and Rich showed up um, and <laughs> thinking it was a CMA event. But, and what yeah. are the dates and where can they sign up? September 26th through the 28th uh, this year. And they can go to www.cathmed.org 
and look under events, and you'll find this year's conference and registration is open uh, and humming. So get your get your uh, registrations done now. Are there any final ideas you'd like to leave with our listeners about this topic? First and foremost, it's not your fault. Know that to begin with. This is not this is not an issue of your inability to cope or to do it. Uh, you, you are overburdened. The second is there is hope, uh, and there is hope at the foot of the cross with Jesus Christ. And starting there, you can walk the journey and bear the cross that will bring you back to where we want to be, and that is in a relationship with the suffering Christ as the healing Christ in that medical uh, relationship as a doctor-patient. And so we have to uh, be creative and think outside the box to find solutions. But I think once we have our sights clearly set on uh, where our true rewards are, that becomes much easier. Well, Mike, you make me you make me happy and proud that I'm a physician. And you also remind me that uh, we always need to remind ourselves that it really is at the foot of the cross. And that's where we need to take these and, and every problem for that matter. Thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you in advance for this world-class uh, conference that we can attend in September. And thank you for your gift to the profession. God bless you, Michael. Well, thank you for being with well, thank us. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. God bless, guys. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And it is time that we answer the very serious and complicated medical trivia question. It has to do with physician suicide uh, as a profession. Uh, so, Tom, take it away. So the top three professions in terms of suicide risk are physicians, 87% above average, dentists, 67% above, and veterinarians, 54%. So what is the first non-medical profession or the second one on the list? What makes up number four and five? Well, number four, not surprisingly, actually tying with veterinarians are police officers. But then number five was, to me, somewhat surprising. 51% above average, financial services. Wow. Professionals. Now, I mean, you have to pause for a minute. These are people who despair becomes so prevalent in their lives that taking their own life is the only way out. That's remarkable. That, that's a horrible level of despair. And to yeah. have that despair centered around money you're trying to earn for other people, which is what the financial service industry is, it's just, it, in one sense, it's only money. Hmm. But uh, it, it's just terrible. And among white women, they have a 178% increase, so almost three times the normal rate of suicide among women. But as an absolute rate, it's equal to that of male physicians, which, which is terrible. So uh, Not feel-good statistics by any means. No. So we're going to go into some – we've been getting some questions from listeners, and uh, I've got a whole boatload of them, which are up Chris's alley. Uh-oh. So the first one uh, deals with daily vitamins and uh, multivitamins. So first, in general, what are the pros and cons to taking daily uh, vitamins? You know, this is a tough question, and I, I feel uh, uncomfortable answering it because people tend to feel so passionately about supplements. And it's, it's hard to take it as, a, as an entire list. I mean, is this supplement different than that supplement, different than that supplement? We've talked a lot on various shows about vitamin D and about some other things. And the literature seems to constantly contradict itself, doesn't it? In many cases, we're giving ourselves very expensive urine. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's what I say to patients. But in some cases, there can be some benefit, particularly if we're not eating a lot of whole foods and a lot of really healthy things, which sadly many of us are not. Uh, but it seems like in most cases, a commonsensical approach uh, is the best one. Eat right, maybe take a simple daily supplement, uh, but there's not a lot of necessary or essential vitamins that we need to be taking. Chris, what vitamins do you take every day? You know, I take a vitamin D supplement and sort of a one-a-day men's health, and that's it. I take nothing. I, I remember uh, my former family physician, before I had to go to a physician in a different part of town, did this special intense study of my white blood cells to see if I had all the right nutrients in my body. And he was someone who prescribes a lot of supplements that he thought I was taking. At the time, I was taking none of them. When I got the results back, he was like, you're like the first person I've ever seen who isn't deficient in anything. 
And I said, aha, I eat lots of fruits and vegetables. <laughs> and well, I don't take any supplements. I think of you as having absolutely no deficiencies. <laughs> that is very kind of you. <laughs> Not true, but very kind. So more to the point of this questioner, for women in childbearing years, do you recommend they regularly take vitamins? And do you recommend pregnant women to take anything? Yeah, that's a great question. So in general, a prenatal vitamin is a prenatal vitamin because it has folic acid in it. Yes. Way back years ago, you have to used to have to have a prescription to get folic acid. Uh, and then when folic acid became over the counter, suddenly all of the prenatal vitamin companies tried to make a better mousetrap. And they added iron because pregnant women tend to be anemic and iron can be constipating. So they added stool softeners. Uh, then they added vitamin D and <laughs> now there's DHA and your child will never go to college if you don't take this brand of of prenatal vitamin. Um, But there is certainly absolutely nothing wrong with taking, I think, the cheapest prenatal vitamin you can find when you're not pregnant, but pregnancy is a possibility. And it's really just that simple. So folic acid is a key. You know, the Institute of Medicine recommends for vitamin D, 600 milligrams for most adults, 800 milligrams for seniors. Uh, And that's, and anything more than that, like Chris said, you're just making expensive Uh, urine. And as far as all the other vitamins, you know, the B and the C vitamins, unless you are eating a horribly poor diet, I mean, you have to be almost subsisting on something like alcohol or potatoes like St. John Vianney did. You probably don't need those water-soluble vitamins. So like I said, I used to take vitamin D, I used to take DHA, and I've stopped doing it because I've not seen anything that suggests it's worth it for me. And in so many cases, it's just what our mothers told us, eat right. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's that simple. Here's another question, a very, I think, simple one. What's the name of the doctor that specializes in osteoporosis? That's really good because like so many areas of contemporary medicine, uh, disease states like osteoporosis cross a lot of different specialties, OBGYNs, family physicians, internal medicine physicians, orthopedic surgeons, uh, and others. But probably I think we're thinking of an endocrinologist maybe here, but that isn't altogether clear. I think the answer is it just depends. Yeah, it could be any of those doctors. So if you're concerned about osteoporosis, start with your uh, family physician or your primary care physician if they're an internist uh, and go there. Now, uh, another question. I've heard that it's healthy to wait a certain amount of time between births to allow the woman's body to completely heal from one birth to the next. Is this true, Chris? Actually, you know, it isn't true. There were some studies uh, years ago that looked at miscarriage rates in women who become pregnant quickly. Quickly after a miscarriage, uh, the probability of them miscarrying again, mm-hmm. uh, or just pregnant again after uh, a, a non-miscarriage pregnancy and the, the risk of miscarriage in that pregnancy. And when they actually did the studies better in more recent years, it turns out that that, that apparently doesn't matter. You know, women are designed to be pregnant. Uh, <laughs> and it's okay to be pregnant when pregnancy can occur. Now, we could talk all day about emotional reasons to delay pregnancies. But from a purely medical reason, uh, you are masterfully created to be pregnant women. And so when it, you feel called to be in that condition, it's okay. There's no need to delay. So the second part of this listener's question was that, would it be safe to have two children within a year of another? Your answer seems to be yes. Absolutely. That's how you're designed, and it's okay. Now, if a woman wants to space 18 months between births, she says, I assume you would recommend the Creighton model for avoiding the six months after the first birth. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a fair amount of natural avoidance that takes place. Anybody, <laughs> anybody who's had children knows. But uh, if a couple wants to space their children, then yes, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the Creighton model, but I would recommend a form of natural family planning, whether that's the Marquette method or the couples-to-couples billings method uh, or the Creighton method. But a form of fertility awareness or natural family planning works beautifully, better than artificial means, and will allow a couple to space their children to the degree they desire. And this uh, listener wants to know, does it raise ethical concerns to want to space more than nature would do it by natural avoidance or breastfeeding? 
You know, it depends. Isn't that a great answer? It depends. You know, if you're avoiding another pregnancy because you think, gosh, if we only had this one child, we could get a bigger lake house. (laughs) uh, I think most people would argue that Catholic teachings suggest you've got some priority problems. But if you say we feel led to delay children, maybe forever, or maybe you have serious health concerns that say we shouldn't be pregnant again. It is perfectly ethical to do that, but you have to do that via a morally acceptable means like natural family planning. And what if a couple feels or thinks it's unethical to try to avoid pregnancy even using fertility awareness? Well, they're, they're, they're just incorrect. That it's, it's not wrong to do that. It's perfectly acceptable to do that. They just need to do an examination of their conscience. Maybe they need to get some professional uh, advice from a spiritual director. Hopefully, uh, a well-formed priest could help them uh, think their way through those questions. But there's not an ethical dilemma involved in spacing children. Not at all. Chris, you are just a wealth of information, and we have a few more of those questions banked for a future episode that will hit, but we're running up to the end of this episode, our first one on the EWTN Radio Network. We are so happy to be here with all of our new listeners, and we thank you for listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor. We are the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, brought to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio here in Northeast Indiana. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen to us on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we'll be discussing attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Wow. ADHD or ADD. And we'll be discussing it with pediatrician Dr. Kathleen Birchelman. Yep. She's been on the show before and she's going to do it again. She's always excellent. Yes. And this is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud signing off next time for your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your question to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at redeemerradio.com doctor where you can also find all our past episodes. Keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app or by following us on Facebook at Dr. Doctor Show.